Several years ago, and I've shared this story in the past, some of you have heard it, but several years ago, I was um, fumbling through some, I don't even know how I got to this moment, but I heard this story about this man named Kevin Carter. And Kevin Carter was a photographer in the 90s from Johannesburg, South Africa. And because he was a photographer, as you can imagine, he was struggling with, uh, you know, stories and all these things. And in 1993, he went to Sudan. And in Sudan, he, he was capturing the war and the famine that was happening in Sudan. And I'll read the time article real quick. He says, he wandered into the open bush. He heard a soft, high-pitched whimpering and saw a tiny girl trying to make her way to the feeding center. As he crouched to take her picture, a vulture landed in view. Careful not to disturb the bird, he positioned himself for the best possible image. He would later say he waited about 20 minutes, hoping the vulture would spread its wings. It did not. And after he took the pictures, he chased the bird away and watched as the little girl resumed her struggle. Fourteen months later, on May 23rd, 1994, Kevin Carter won the Pulitzer Prize for this picture. Fourteen months later, his life changed from fame to money to recognition to everything that comes with winning a Pulitzer Prize. Two months after receiving his Pulitzer, Kevin Carter would be dead from suicide at the age of 23 or 33. In a note left on his truck passenger seat, he said, I'm really, really sorry. The pain of life overrides the joy to the point that joy does not exist. Continuing in the Time Magazine article following his tragic suicide, the piece relayed the guilt that Carter felt and how even some of his friends wondered aloud why he had not helped the girl. And it concluded, the guilt he had felt afterwards for not helping the little girl seemed to be too much for the man to handle. The guilt of not doing anything. In our, in our time of talking about disobedience, in our time of talking about rebellion, in our time of talking about anxiety and depression and all of these things, one of the biggest factors that happen is not a life of disobedience. It's a life of regret on not doing what we should have done. It's a life knowing what we should have done James says it this way in 4.17. He says, it's sin to those who know what to do and choose not to do it. It's a dangerous road. One of, one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is 2 Kings chapter 20. And it tells of a story of a 25-year-old king named Hezekiah. And Hezekiah is righteous. In fact, you can read chapter 18. It says this of him. Chapter 18 says, he did what was pleasing in the Lord's sight. He removed pagan shrines. It says, it, it says in verse 6, He remained faithful to the Lord in everything. He carefully obeyed all the commands of the Lord. There was none like him in, among all the kings of Judah, either before or after his time. Listen, he was, he was a righteous man living as king, even young in his age. And yet the Bible tells us this, and I'll paraphrase a lot of this because we don't have time to read all 20 verses. But it says, Hezekiah became deathly ill. Isaiah, who was a friend of him, the prophets in those days, they, they weren't just guys that, that came in and said a word and walked away. 
These were guys who had relationships. And so Isaiah showing up at the end of someone's life wasn't unusual, no different than someone would call a pastor in at the end of their life knowing. It, it said Hezekiah was ill. It says that Hezekiah was, was suffering. And so calling Isaiah in wasn't, wasn't unusual. It wasn't something new that, that was like, oh, why is Isaiah here? It, he knew why he was coming. Similar to, you know, Jonah in Jonah chapter 3, we see on the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. What was he saying? Jonah was saying, listen, as it stands right now, it's not good. As it stands right now, Nineveh, this is not good. But we know that the Bible says that Nineveh wasn't destroyed. Why? Because Nineveh repented. Because Nineveh repented, that prophetic word, that, that word that the prophet said, that Jonah said, that Isaiah is saying in this moment, it's, it's this word of, of warning, but it's also a word of, this doesn't take a lot of discernment. You know what I mean? He comes in, he sees, he sees Hezekiah sick. It says he has boils all over his body. It says, he's, and, and what does Isaiah say? He says, listen, get your affairs in order, you're going to die. This is what's going to happen. I can see right here, this is not good. You're going to die. Okay, and the Bible says at that moment, Hezekiah begins to weep. It says he looks to the wall and he begins to pray. And he prays, God, I've been faithful. God, I've done what you've asked me to do. God, would you, would you please spare my life? And it says before Isaiah even leaves the courts, he hears the Lord say, go back into Hezekiah. And what? Add 15 years to his life. Tell Hezekiah, I'm adding 15 years of life. Why? Because, because prayer does change things. Repentance does matter. Nineveh, you're going to be destroyed. I mean, we know 2 Chronicles. If my people will what? Humble themselves and pray. What? Change happens. Like it's, it's super easy in, in, our, in our culture right now to just look out and be like, oh, it's just too bad. We're going to hell in a handbasket. Like, this is too difficult. I'm going to do nothing. Like, it's super easy to do that. It's easy to do nothing. What we can read from the Kevin Carter story, what we can read from Hezekiah, we have to do something. There's something we all can do, whether it's praying, whether it's running for for school board or running for political office or, or being a voice when it's very difficult. We all can do something. We can change what is happening currently. Love the way you're agreeing with me today. This story is actually three times in the Old Testament. Three different accounts in 2 Chronicles 32, Isaiah 38. Three different accounts of what is happening in Hezekiah. Why? Because in this room right now are stubborn people. Come on, some nervous laughter going on. Where are the stubborn? Where's the people that need to hear rejoice in the Lord? And again I say rejoice. Come on, somebody. i got to say it again because, goodness, why did you not listen the first time? So we read the story and we see Hezekiah's. Man, listen to the, the message. You're not going to die. I've given it to you. And then it says this. He says, can, can I get a sign that what you're saying is true? And what does Isaiah say? Isaiah says, well, do you want the sundial to move forward or do you want it to move backwards? And Hezekiah says, the sundial always moves forward. Let it move backwards. 
What is that? God is going to literally, the miracle, the sign is that he's going to stop time so that you understand the sign. It stops and he's reminded. He puts some figs on his boils. He heals up three days later. And now what happens? The enemy shows up. Isn't that like what always happens? You pray, God answers your prayer, and what does the enemy do? Show up. It says the Assyrians came, and what does he do? He shows them everything in his palace. This is what it says in 2 Kings 20. It says he showed them from, from the, the gold to everything he, learned, he, he had earned. He showed them the whole thing. So much that Isaiah comes back, and he says this. Verse then Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and said, What did those men want? Where were they from? Hezekiah replied, They were from the distant land of Babylon. What did they see in your palace? Everything. I showed them everything. Hear, hear this word. Everything I own. All my royal treasuries. And Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Listen to this message from the Lord. The time is coming when everything in your palace, all the treasures stored up by your ancestors until now. Listen, everything you've inherited, your sons will become eunuchs. Your sons will now live in the land of your enemies. Everything you own will be taken away. Why? Because of pride. Because in this moment where you could have shown them everything that the Lord has done, you could have done all of these things, you said, look what I've done. In this moment where you could have given God glory for stopping time, for healing your body, for not dying, you could have said, look what the Lord has done. You've done it in the past. Why in this moment did you not do it? You could have done it now, but you made it about you. How easy is this? That we make it about us. And Isaiah says, listen to the message the Lord has for you. Your own sons. What's Hezekiah say? The message you have given from the Lord is good. For the king was thinking, at least there will be peace and security during my lifetime. What is he saying? You know the most dangerous thing? Thinking that you and I can have? The most dangerous thinking that you and I can have is at least it's not affecting me. I've heard people say stuff, stupid stuff. If you've said it, I don't apologize. At least I don't have kids in school right now. Oh, I'm so glad I don't have kids in school right now. You know why? Because it's not affecting you. You watch the news and you think, well, at least it's not happening in Columbia. At least it didn't happen in Jupiter. What happens when it does? Like, what headline do we need to hit home that wakes us up? What headline do we need to hear that we go, oh, whoa, whoa, maybe this isn't all about me. Like, at what point do we go, well, at least this isn't affecting my peace, my comforts. Yet this is what we must not have a spirit of Hezekiah. What kind of nation is going to be left for your grandkids. Will we settle for a place where the slaughter of millions of unborn children is acceptable? Are we, are we going to be okay with this? Are we going to be okay when people deny born-again believers the rights to the First Amendment in our country? 
Are we going to sit back? Are we going to step into the ring? Are we going to step in and say, no, no, no. This isn't going to happen today. Are we going to sit back and be so insecure in our faith? So pushing, pushing the agenda on somebody else and saying, your turn. Bull, you have air in your lungs. It is not someone else's turn. It's still your turn. The passing of the baton is not a biblical one. You pass a mantle and you pass a mantle when you die, not when you're living. A passing of the baton to the next generation does not happen while you're alive. All right, 55 and older, I I need you. I need you talking right now. It's time to roll up the sleeves. Nehemiah said this, then as I looked over the situation, listen, can we take a moment and look over the situation? Let's look over the situation right now. Instead of saying things like, well, the good old days we used to do. Okay, listen to what I'm saying to you right now. The good old days as you've seen it are over. Okay, gas isn't 50 cents anymore. In fact, there's nothing for 50 cents. Okay? Nehemiah said, I looked over the situation and I called together the leaders and all the people and said to them what? Don't be afraid of the enemy. Hear what I'm saying to you right now. The enemy does not have the authority over your life. Some of you are not convinced. Praying that you will be. Remember the Lord who was great and glorious. And go fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives and your home. Why? Because have you looked over the situation and not dismissed it as Hezekiah did? Why is the spirit of Hezekiah so bad? Because pride gets in and says, at least it's not affecting me. It is affecting you. You just don't know it. Or you're not aware of it. It is affecting us. So what must we do? we got to become guardians. A guardian is one who protects, who, who guards over, who's against. Paul told Timothy, but those who won't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household, have denied the true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. He gives two pictures. Two pictures. It's not just relatives. It's not just people in your household. He says, no, it's a generations after you. It's cousins. We're going to see in a second, it's more than this. It's cousins. It's family. It's people that you didn't choose, but were born next to you or in your family. And some of them are in your own household. He said, listen, if we're not fighting with them, we've denied the true faith and we're worse than an unbeliever. It's dangerous. It's dangerous to live here. We're not just guardians, we're we're defenders. A defender is a supporter. A defender is an advocate. I'll never forget back in, in when we first started and we were doing a lot in human trafficking and, and I was brought on as an advocate for those that had been through human trafficking. This, this only happened three times in my life where I would sit down with people who were in human trafficking, a 14-year-old, a 15-year-old, a 17-year-old time, who had gone through human trafficking. And I would meet with these individuals, I would hear their stories, and then when they would go to court and face the the people that had done the horrific things to them, I would stand next to them. And the whole point of me standing next to them, I was called an advocate. Because instead of looking at the individual who had done this to them, they would just look at me or somebody else that was standing there. And the whole point was, I can look to you 
for safety and peace and someone I can trust versus the person who had done these horrific things. What was it? It was an advocate. It was a defender. It was a supporter. It was someone who said, I know that you're in my corner. We need to be defenders. People who are defending and advocating. So you might think like, well, this isn't affecting me. No, it's affecting somebody else that you need to be an advocate for. That you need to be supporting. That you need to be defending. You need to look at a younger person and say, listen, I, don't, I can't even fathom how hard it is for you to go to school. I want you to know I got your back. I want you to know I'm praying for you. I want you to know it may be difficult right now what you're doing in your generation, but I'm with you. Why do we say that? We say that because words matter. So you're a defender. You must fight as champions as well. A champion is a role model, an example, the best because of their experience. Listen, there are teenagers in this room that do not have experience. There are young marrieds in this room, young families that are raising kids that do not have the experience that you have. You champion people when you share the story of what you've been through, the experiences that you've been through. Why? So they don't have to go through the junk that you went through. So that you can help them overcome at an earlier age than when you overcame. The whole point is you sharing that experience. This is the reason Paul said, I I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. Shadow boxing looks ridiculous. I'm not aiming aimlessly in the air. I'm running with purpose. Everything I'm doing in my life is with purpose. Everywhere that I go, everything that I say, every relationship that I have, it's not just aimless. I'm doing it with purpose. This is the point of being a champion. Champions fight. Champions know how to aim at. Champions know how to hit targets. Champions know strategy and the schemes of the enemy. And so we fight as champions. Victorious. Not cowardly, not someone that's that's sitting back going like, I wonder if we're going to win. I've read the book. You're going to win. You're going to win. It's rigged. It's rigged. You're going to win. One day, I'd like to go to this place, and I was reading the story of of Bridger Wilderness in Wyoming. I'll show a picture because it's beautiful. One day, I'm trying to get Sean and Shelly to go on my behalf this summer. Yep, I hear that amen in the back. And it's, again, one of the, you know, country's best hiking place in the United States. And this specific place, as I was reading this article about it, I just happened to (laughs) stumble upon that the Bridger Wilderness has a complaint box for people to share their complaints about what is happening in, in this beautiful part of the country. And so I want to read some of these, just because they're hilarious, and I want to bring sanity uh, to the insanity and some sense that is less common in this world. It says, this is the first complaint, please avoid building trails that go uphill. Escalators would help on steep sections. Second complaint, too many bugs and spiders, spider webs. Please spray the wilderness to rid the area of these pests. The coyotes made too much noise last night and kept me awake. Please eradicate these annoying animals. A small deer came into my camp and stole my jar of pickles. Is there any way I can get reimbursed? There are too many rocks. Apparently in the head, too. A McDonald's would be nice at the trailhead. Might defeat the point of actually hiking. These comments, 
these complaints reveal that most of us, most of us, even in our faith, are looking for something that is comfortable and easy. We're looking for an easy way, an easy path, and something that's convenient. And in the way, we push back when Christ calls us to live outside the box. When Jesus is, so if you go to Mark chapter 3, where I'll spend a couple, couple minutes. Wow, four minutes, okay. When I, Mark chapter 3, picture this scene. Jesus is back in Capernaum, 30 miles from his hometown. He had performed tons of miracles. The crowd was intense, so much that the Bible says in Mark 2, that they lowered a paralyzed man through the roof. Maybe you've heard that story, four guys. Credible friends that did that. This is the crowd that's going on. They're attracted by the things that Jesus is doing. But it's a desperate mixture of people. We know that there's Pharisees. We know that there's religious leaders that are there. We know that there are people that are skeptical. In fact, at some point they, they say Jesus is demon-possessed. They say he's a lunatic. He's crazy. And so you have this wide variety of people. Maybe, maybe a lot like a Sunday morning. I don't know. But this is, this is the crazy of what's happening. They got every crazy represented. And Jesus says this in verse 31. When Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, and they stood outside and sent word for him to come out and talk with them. There was a crowd sitting around Jesus, and someone said, Your mother and your brothers are outside asking for you. And Jesus replied, Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he looked at those around him and said, Look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does God's will is my brother and my sister and mother. I mean, there's a lot going on in this passage. And maybe you're hearing this and going, uh, I think they're right. Jesus is crazy. He doesn't, like, I know if someone said, who is your mother? I'm going to go, it's Marty. Marty's my mom. They're going to say, who are your brothers? I'm going to say, I don't have any. God just gave me sisters. Thank you, Lord. We know the Bible says that Jesus had siblings. We know this, half-sisters, I mean, half-brothers. How hard would that be, the brother and sister of Jesus? I mean, I thought I was the golden child until, you know. And, and yet the Bible says that the ESV uses the word called, and it refers to a summons, has a sense of authority. So it doesn't say, like, Jesus' mom is outside going, could you guys get Jesus for me? Is there any way that you could bring Jesus out from doing whatever it is he's doing inside? It's not what it was. They traveled 30 miles. They knew what was being said about Jesus. They knew the threats to Jesus' life. They knew that they had said, we want to kill this man. Mary and the brothers, the younger brothers, were on a mission to what? To get Jesus away from what Jesus was doing. They were on a mission to say, hey, listen, Jesus, we don't like the danger that you're in. And because we don't like it, it's not, could you, could you get Jesus for us? It's get Jesus now. It reminded me as a kid, when you're playing outside, kids, when you play outside, you'd go in this thing called a front yard. And you, and you might take a ball and just throw it. You might even jump on a bike. It's got two wheels and pegs on the back. Mine was a GT Performer. It was hot pink. It was beautiful. White tires. I mean, I paid $300 back in 1985 for that thing. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I, that's a lot of grass cutting right there. Kids, grass cutting is when you get the mower out. 
<laughs> and when it was time to come in, it was, dinner's ready. And I might hear it, but I might be across the street. And the person across the street might have to say, no, Jamie's not here. He's across the other street. And it might be a second. And then all of a sudden, there's a little more urgency. I said, dinner's ready. Voice elevated, a little more stern, a little different, right? All of a sudden, you hear it a little differently. It's like, oh, I better get home quickly. Why is that? There was some authority to being called. There was some urgency. She wasn't just saying, could you guys get Jesus? It was, I need Jesus right now. Get him out of this situation. Some of these people are crazy. They're calling him a lunatic. They're threatening his life. This is the urgency of a mom. If you're a mom in this room, you understand when your son is in danger, what that means. This isn't some, some pansy way of being like, just bring him out. It's frantic. There was a crowd gathered around him. Jesus said in Luke 2, 12 years old, why do, why do, you, why do you even search for me? I'm about my father's business, yet Mary, Mary forgot this. Mary forgot. Why? Because there's this question about family. And I've read this passage so many times, and it never made sense to me. It, it did not make sense. Jesus is almost being disrespectful to Mary. And if you've if ever been Catholic in this town, you're like, you're like, oh, you can't be disrespectful to Mary. I mean, even, even in these times, they're, they're being disrespectful. I mean, look at Luke 11. It says, as he was speaking, a woman in the crowd called out, God bless your mother, the womb from which you came and the breasts that nursed you. And Jesus replied, but even more blessed are all who hear the word of God and put it into practice. What is Jesus doing? Jesus is taking this, this question about family and he's redefining it. The way we see it, the way we understand it. And at the heart, it hurts parents. At the heart, it's, it's contradictory in nature because we've made so much of life about us and our experiences and the gifts that we've got. We're like Hezekiah, we're saying, look at all that I've done. Look at all that I have. Here it all is. And we've made it about what we have done. Look at the job that I have. God gave you that job. Look how much money I have. It's not yours. It can be taken away. Look at my wife and how great she is. Look at our marriage. It could be gone just like that. We've made it all about this and earth. And Jesus is saying, who is my mother? Who is my brother? Like, what are you talking about? Doesn't she know I'm about the father's business? No, not now, woman. And he called her woman, so I came too. Not now, woman. He says, anyone who does God's will is my brother and my sister and my mother. He said in John, when they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus said, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Spurgeon put it this way, I will ever maintain that by grace we are saved and not by ourselves, but equally must I testify that where the grace of God is, it will produce 
fitting deeds. He says, listen, this justification process, this sanctification process, it's so beautiful. And we put so much stock in justification. I've given my life to Christ. I've said yes to Jesus. And we celebrate. We say things like, all of heaven is rejoicing. And it's true. There's freedom now because of the penalty of sin. I'm now forgiven. But the sanctification process is that I'm continually being saved. I'm continually growing. What is happening? I'm becoming like Jesus. I'm becoming holy. It's not in this moment. It's continual. It's continuing to happen. Who I was last year is not who I am right now. I'm different. I'm changing. Why? Because I'm in Christ and something changed inside of me. I now speak different. I now talk different. My, my purpose is different. My motives are different. What I say, I mean, all of these things. This is sanctification. You're going to mess up. You are going to mess up. This is the reason I don't, I, I don't think people share the gospel. We don't share the gospel because we've made the gospel about people following us. And we're like, oh, I'm imperfect. I don't want someone to follow me. I'm imperfect. Yes, you are. But you don't want them to follow in perfection. You want them to follow the one who is perfect. So it's easy. I'm going to share the good news of what Jesus has done. That's easy. Follow him. Don't follow me. Follow him. I'm going to fail you. I'm in the same process. Like I'm continually being sanctified. His point is stop making excuses of not doing anything. Stop making excuses of not being a voice. You live out your faith. There's going to be some in your family who think you've lost it. They called Jesus demon-possessed. What was Jesus doing? Healing people? Saying love your neighbor? Hanging out with sinners? Turning water into wine? Oh, that guy is a lunatic. Doing great things. You're going to do things and people are going to be like, you're nuts. And your own family is going to disown you. The people in your household, they're going to call you crazy. Jesus is redefining this. He's saying, guys, listen. He's redefining it because so much of the baggage that we have in this room is from immediate family. Some of you, you've, never, you've not talked to your parents forever. You've not talked to your siblings. You know how many funerals I do? And it's like chaos. Because why? Because siblings are fighting. What are we fighting over? What's in the house? That's what we're fighting over. Who gets what? Who cares? It's going to go away. Why? Because I put so much stock. And so we see family and it's almost like a cuss word. Right? It's like, oh my God, don't say family because... My family's crazy. Some of you are like, is your family crazy? See, the ones of you that aren't saying that is because you're the crazy one. <laughs> like all your siblings are like, yep, I got a crazy one. She's at church right now. <laughs> he's redefining family. And here's what he's saying. He's saying, listen, when we do the will of God, when we say yes to Jesus, we become family. So now, to someone who's never had a brother, to someone who's never had another male in the house except the dog and a dad, and the dog betrayed me, you know what I mean? The cat ran away. 
God says, no, Jamie, you have brothers. They're all around you. You meet with them all the time. They're your brothers. What's it? He's redefining and saying, guys, here's who my, and Matthew says it this way, of Mark 3, the same story. It says that Jesus started pointing at his brothers and sisters. He said, no, you're my brother. You're my sister. You're my family. What's he redefining? He's redefining how we understand life and how we understand fighting and how we understand what it means to come together and what it means to to be family. And he's saying, listen, we we come together and because we come together, we, we have one another and we're accountable to one another. Your small group is family. Your, your team you serve on in the nursery, that's your family. Worship team, this is your family. And so we come together and we become family. And, and, and this is the point of Jesus. Because we become obedient to the things that God is doing. He's saying, woman, I don't have time to run away and to do nothing. I don't have time to go into hiding because a couple people's feelings are hurt. And now they want to kill me. I don't have time for that. Here's who my family is right here. I'm not telling you to disown your family. I'm telling you, you still got to reconcile. And this is the point of service and first service where it got real, real nerving. Started getting some bad looks. I had to bounce the eyes. No, less smiles. I was like looking at the ceiling because nobody had a safe face. You know what I mean? Why? Because I start saying things like, no, you're supposed to reconcile with your brothers and your sisters. You're supposed to love your, your parents even though it's hard. You're supposed to do these things. It's not an excuse to go, oh my gosh, my sister's a tool. Let me find a new one in the church. It's not what he's saying. But what, what is this redefinition? It's weird because my wife is my wife. She's flesh. I mean, we're one, but we're brothers and sisters in Christ. When people say yes, Jesus says, listen, that's your family. That's your family. So when he says, listen, you've, de- you've denied the faith, the true faith by doing what? your relatives, your family, you've done a disservice to them. You've, you've not loved them the way they need love. And even the ones in your own household, he, he brings in two different groups of people, your church family, your brothers and sisters in Christ, and your immediate family. He's saying, listen, don't neglect at home so that you can leave and find people that you like. And I understand already what you're thinking. Man, when I get to do this with church people, it's people I'd pick. I wouldn't have picked my own family. I understand what you're saying. I'm hearing you. This is what John said. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. I mean, hear this. I mean, I love that John even says that. Like, hey, not a birth resulting from human passion or plan, but... One that comes from God. Why are we family? Because of what Jesus has done. Why are we accountable to one another? Because this is what family does. And who needs to see that most? See, when the Bible starts talking about the world, people that don't know Jesus, who are sinning, and we're getting mad that they're sinning, Don't get mad that they're sinning. They're doing what they are. They're sinning. We pray. But this is what the Bible says. How will the world know that we are his disciples? By the way we love one another. He's not talking about how we love the church. 
or love the people on the outside. He's talking about how we do life in here will be a reflection of what people see out there. Because the prayer that Jesus prayed that is yet to be answered, yet to be answered, it was, he's being transfigured and it says, God, I pray that they would be one as you and I are one. The prayer was that the church would be so close, so family, that the world will see that there is a savior, not because of what we build, but how we love one another. And listen, in this moment, in this time, in this of evaluating the situation, just like Nehemiah was doing, in this moment where we could go, wow, the world and culture is going crazy, in this moment where we could go, what do we do? And it'd be easy to go, let's do nothing, but just watch online complain around a cup of coffee he says no that's not what we do it's time to do something I can't tell you what the something is some of you yeah you need to run for school board some of you need to run for mayor city council you need to be an alderman some of you just need to be a good neighbor cut your grass trim the hedges Get your mail out. When the Amazon lady comes, be nice to her. Why? Because the world is watching. Some of us, we just need to be Jesus with skin on where we work, where we're at, what we're doing right now, where we are currently living. Because why? Because everything that I do is with purpose. Listen to me. Listen to me. The spirit of Hezekiah diminishes purpose and says you don't have to do that. You can be lazy. We cannot have the spirit of Hezekiah in the church in 2023. It cannot be present because if it's present, we'll become complacent and lazy and we will drift and we will will now go places we never thought we would go, doing things we never thought we would do, all for the sake of doing nothing. This is the hour. This is the time that we fight, that we fight. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me right now? Here's the biggest thing right now, you guys. Biggest thing right now. You're in this room, and you just say, hey, listen, I've become complacent. What used to matter to me doesn't matter to me right now. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's a veil. I don't know if it's distractions. I don't know if I'm too busy. Maybe you're hurt in this room. Someone has hurt you. They said something that was wrong. Listen to me right now. You've been hurt. God knows it. The people around you know it. What was done to you is wrong. Hear what I'm saying to you in all love and compassion. But how long will you allow that hurt to hinder moving forward in your relationship with Christ? At what cost are you going to hold on to the hurt and the offense? I'm not saying what they did was right. I'm not saying that you're not a victim. I'm not saying any of those things. I'm just saying how long are you going to allow it to affect you from being ineffective to what God has called you to do? How long? And again, hear me, okay? 
what has happened to you is wrong. But continuing in that and not doing anything about it is making it worse. You're in this room and you're just like, listen, I don't know what it is. I don't know what fog I'm in. I'm in a mental funk. I'm spiritually, I'm, it's just in a weird thing. However it is that we've said it, today, today, we need to get out of that. What changes? Pray, repent, forgive, let it go. Listen, look up Psalm 69, verse 4. One of the most powerful passages in all the Bible. Look it up in the New King James Version. It's my favorite. And I'll read it to you. Though the number of my enemies are more than the hairs of my head, and though I've done nothing wrong, still I must restore it. Listen to, listen to the words of David. Though I've done nothing wrong, though I've stolen nothing, I need to apologize. That's a little cuckoo. It's a little crazy. Though I'm innocent in this, restoration is the forefront of my mind. Though I'm innocent in this, though I am clean and, and innocent, for the sake of restoration, I'm willing to move forward. Oh, come on, somebody. Especially, especially when you've been hurt and it's hurt. Not like somebody said something negative about you that you did. Something said, somebody said something to you that was wrong and they lied about you and they hurt you physically, mentally, spiritually, all of those things. And what's holding you back? That. That. So the funk that you're in, man, we need to, we need to move past it. Forgive. Some of you, you need to forgive your ex-spouse. I know. I don't know, but I can only imagine. It's bad. They said some crazy stuff about you. They did you wrong. We need to get past it. Easy to say, hard to do. I'm not saying anything easy, but listen. Jonah is saying, there's destruction ahead unless something happens and changes. And it's a warning, you guys. There's destruction ahead unless we change something. There is more, ha, there is less common sense ahead unless we change something. There is more confusion ahead unless we bring clarity and truth. Hear me? You smelling what I'm stepping in? Jesus, right now, God, we need you. The author and the finisher the one who holds the world, the one who loves us unconditionally, the one who is for us and not against us, the one who knows the best for us, the one who disciplines us because of that love that he has for us. God, we look to you and we say, Jesus, here we are. Would you break down the walls that we've built? whether it's pride or religion or tradition, whatever it is, God, break down those walls. In the name of Jesus. You guys, we have prayer partners that are coming. If that's you right now, just could you, in the next four minutes, 
Guys, four minutes. Could you respond in a way of saying, you know what? Today's the day. I'm not being complacent anymore. I'm not being quiet anymore. I'm giving this thing to God. I'm not holding on to this anymore. We have prayer partners in all four areas. Would you give four minutes of just saying, God, here I am. I'm making room. I'm giving you this space. And I'm saying, would you do something special in this space? Would you come? Would you come? Come on, Evie. Let's sing this out, girl.